Good morning. You hear me all right? There we go. Good morning. Good to see everyone today. Welcome to worship. Glad you're here with us. If you get your bulletins out, a few announcements as we get started. As always, in the back is a tear-off portion. If you're a guest, please fill that out. Put it in the offering plate as it goes by, and we'll follow up with you about anything you'd like to know uh, in regards to Mechanicsville Baptist. On the other side, uh, we have a place at the bottom, the yellow side, for prayer requests. Please put those on there. We'll pray for you on Tuesdays in our staff time. On the back are opportunities for the week. Make mention of a few things. Today we do have our encounter service at 5, youth at 6, ensemble meets at 6. The deacons meeting, however, has been postponed. So if you are part of the deacons meeting, uh, please be aware that it's been postponed for tonight. Will that happen? And uh, so um, 6.30 tonight, scratch it off. Remind yourself in your head, whatever you need to do. 7.15, handbells do meet. Uh, this week, we have our midweek Bible study at 11 on Wednesday, and then the Connect Groups, Awana and Youth, are Wednesday as well as the midweek Bible study at 6.15. Adult Choir, 7.30. Thursday, Fellowship Breakfast is at Cold Harbor Restaurant, and you don't need to uh, make a reservation or anything. Just come on out, and uh, they meet each month there to gather in fellowship. Finally, Saturday, the teenagers are going to... Swananoa. I'm trying to get that. I think that's right. Swananoa Palace, 10 a.m. So uh, pray for them as they go and hope you have a wonderful trip there. All right. Any other announcements you can think of, Tim? Nothing else. All right. So again, welcome. Glad you're here with us. It's going to be a good day in the house of the Lord. And uh, Leslie, you're calling. Good morning, everyone. We're going to stand and greet everyone with big smiles on our faces, even though it's a rainy day. It's a nice, crisp fall day. Don't you love it? So we're going to love that piece of it. We're going to get up and tell everybody welcome and so glad that you're here. Please have ready hymn number 330 for our call to worship, Spirit of the Living God. So have a lift of it.
remain standing for invocation. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are people who have been changed and transformed through your Spirit, through your love, through your goodness. Thank you for calling us to yourself, for putting your life into us, and giving us a hope and a purpose. We thank you that we are gathered here this hour to glorify your name, to uh, hear from your truth, and to worship you in spirit and in truth. God, we thank you that uh, your Holy Spirit is here with us, and we pray that this service would uh, indeed fall fresh and that you would be glorified in a way in which, when we leave, we are changed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask that you be seated. And uh, the reason for that is that the next song, which you can turn to in your hymnal, is 554. It may be one that you are not familiar with. So Lisa is, and I are going to sing the first verse and the chorus, and then you guys can join us on the second and the third verse.
if you'd turn in your hymnals to page 334 for our responsive reading entitled The Spirit of God. It's at the top of page 334. And there's a place for just the men, just the ladies, and everyone together. And I will start page 334, Spirit of God. Do you not know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? The Spirit searches everything, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the concerns of a man except the spirit of the man that is in him? In the same way, no one knows the concerns of God except the spirit of God. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, in order to know what has been freely given to us by God not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. Now, now may, may the God, God of hope fill, fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure that you can tell this morning that our, our theme and, and our concentration this morning is on God's Spirit. So we're going to turn and sing page 328 in your hymnal, Sweet, Sweet Spirit. Please stand. You're the one to 
command stand, remain standing for our offertory prayer. Good morning. We serve an awesome and an alive God. He's not fake. He's not a, something we put on the shelf. He is alive. He speaks to us constantly. As we come this morning for our tithes and offerings, remember that if we truly love God the way he loves us, our giving goes beyond what we're about to give this morning. It goes beyond outside of these four doors. We do it because we love God and because he is an awesome God and because he constantly gives to us. So we have to give to others. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning, O oh Lord, thanking you for this opportunity you've given to us. Oh, Father, we realize that it's not because we've been so righteous and not because we live so great, but it's because of the love that you've given to us. We come to you this morning, O oh Lord, laying our offerings and our tithes before you this morning, O oh Lord, because of the requirement that you've given to us that we give 10%. But, Lord, we come to you this morning opening up our hearts and our minds and our souls to you, O oh Lord. Put us in situations that we may become beneficial to those around us. Put us in situations, O oh God, that we may become blessings to those around us, O oh Lord. For somebody is crying out in our minds, somebody is crying out outside of our doors that needs help this morning, whether it be from sicknesses or health or from just basic needs of life, O oh Lord. Give us that opportunity, O oh God, and allow us to be a blessing as you have blessed us. In Jesus' name, amen.
those of you who are on the church email mailing list received an email uh, this past week related to hurricane relief in uh, North Carolina. And in that email, uh, I gave you some statistical data as to uh, what Virginia Baptist Disaster Relief is doing through the Virginia Baptist Mission Board and the Baptist Journal Association of Virginia. As of um, the close of business on Tuesday, uh, this was reported out on Wednesday, they had served over 14,000 meals uh, in the region that they're set up in, in Washington, North Carolina. The food is supplied by the state of North Carolina and the Red Cross, but the infrastructure and so forth that is used uh, comes from uh, Virginia Baptist. Uh, more specifically, the trailers and all of the equipment were bought through the Alma Hunt missions offering, just to make you aware of that as you think about your missions giving. And without that infrastructure, we would not be on the ground in uh, North Carolina now. But because of that, we are. And if you would like to contribute to disaster relief through the church, you may do so by making your check out to the church and putting in the tagline, disaster relief. And it, every dollar you give will go to disaster relief. And the reason I want you to know that is the uh, administrative overhead comes out of our regular giving that we give to the Virginia Baptist Mission Board. So every dollar you give, and if you read the uh, email, it also says that every dollar you give is basically the equivalent of $10 because of the volunteer hours that are used to calculate how things are done. So I uh, just wanted to make you aware of that because I know that lots of people want to know what to do, and the tagline uh, on that was uh, pray, give, go. And that's uh, the things that we can do. Uh, and we do have people on the ground now and wanted to make you aware of that. So uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Eternal God, we come before you recognizing that there are many things that trouble us. We pray, Father, for our brothers and sisters in North Carolina who are still recovering and in the midst of flooding. We pray, Father, that as we pray for them, that your spirit would move among them and that they can find relief and encouragement and hope even in the midst of very difficult, tragic situations. I also pray, Father, for the many people that we know in that region personally. We pray for them and for their families as they recover from this difficulty. We're thankful, Father, that even in the midst of the storm, you are there, and for this we praise your name. We're grateful, Father, that in the midst of all of life's difficulties, we can come to you, knowing, Father, that as we do, we do so with the full assurance that you are working in the lives of people who are ill, who are injured, who are making life-changing and transforming decisions even at this very moment. We are grateful, Father for your love, and for your commitment to us. And may we, Father, be as committed to you as we seek to serve you in the local church. Thank you for giving us this place. Thank you for allowing us to serve out of this place into a world that needs to hear the gospel. For our missionaries, we give thanks. For their lives have been transformed so that they can go and transform other lives through the power of your word and through the gifts that they bring to the various places they serve. 
even though we do not go, we pray for those who do. We pray, Father, that we might see even Mechanicsville as a mission field as we reach out into our community. We're thankful, Father, for the power of your love to transform us and to show us a better way. May we embrace you, Father, as you embrace us, as we give thanks for your word and for its strength and for its challenging messages. Bless us, Father, as we open your word in the name of Jesus. Amen. Much we have lost as we look down the road where all the prodigals have walked. One by one, the enemy has whispered lies and led them off as slaves. But we know that you are God, yours is a victory. We know there is yet see so with your faith you've given us we'll step into the valley unafraid yeah as we call out to dry bones come alive come alive we call out to dead hearts come alive come alive God of endless mercy, God of unrelenting love, rescue every daughter, bring us back the wayward son, and by your spirit breathe upon them, show the Come on. 
And to top it all off, it's Leslie's birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday, Leslie. <laughs> it's on Facebook, everybody knows. That's what I told her this morning. Our scripture passage this morning is found in Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 10. As we read this story that's familiar to most, and as we have been setting it up all throughout our worship service. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded And as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the snooze and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Also he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he had commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. Concluding our series today on strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, we come to this great passage in the book of Ezekiel. This passage, possibly possibly the best known in the book of Ezekiel, readdresses a previous question and elaborates most eloquently the answer. From where Ezekiel stood that day, his task must have seemed impossible. Yet he obeyed God and the Lord blessed his efforts. From where we stand today, the task of reaching those who are dead in sin also seems like an impossible task. If we will do as the Lord has commanded us, we will also see him bless our efforts. Ezekiel 37 is one of the most solemn and utterly serious chapters in the entire prophecy of this young prophet. It describes a most unusual scene and a most incredible happening. The scene is a valley filled with disjointed, bleaching human bones. The happening is the coming of four winds which converge upon this valley. As those mysterious winds sweep across that eerie boneyard, fantastic things start to happen. 
bones come together, ligaments stretch like elastic across them, then flesh appears and the blowing wind enters the nostrils of those lifeless bodies and suddenly they live. Then they stand up on their feet, a mighty organized army. But what we, have we done with that story? We have caricatured it, we have parodied it, we have composed funny songs and hilarious skits about it. In short, and for the most part, we have turned Ezekiel's most serious and profound vision into a cheap joke. And so today, I want us to forget that the head bone was connected to the neck bone and the ankle bone to the foot bone, and with the microscope of biblical interpretation, see if we cannot discover the true and lasting message in Ezekiel's vision. The message of the dry bones brings to the forefront the threat to all God's people when we allow disobedience and lack of faith to stand in the way of our work. When we speak of vision for the future, if we were confronted with what Ezekiel was confronted with, a plain where scattered bones, very dry and brittle, bleached by the sun, we would see no hope and we would see no vision. It was as if Ezekiel had been set down upon a former field of battle where thousands had been slain and their bodies left unburied. There are those who would have us see only these dry bones so that we would quit before we started and that is a threat never living up to the potential God has for us for the forces of evil will always have us doubting our potential because it paralyzes us and keeps us from seeing what God can do even in a valley of dried bleaching bones We know what it's like to stand in a graveyard by ourselves. We know how quiet it is and how lifeless it appears. Only the names and dates appear on the stones of those who have passed before us. And it gives us a feeling sometimes of hopelessness. Because it appears as though there is no life and will be no life. And so when Ezekiel looked to his left and to his right, as far as his eyes could see, there were the dried, bleached bones of soldiers who had fallen in battle. There was no movement, no sound, and no indication of life at all. There was no wind, no breeze. It was just abandoned, forsaken, utter silliness. And so as we think about threats to the church. It's important for us to spend some time in that valley of dry bones and see ourselves there. First of all, we see in this passage there is a divine question. The Lord Jehovah, who is Ezekiel's tour director, asked this stunned prophet a strange question. Son of man, can these bones live? Or to paraphrase, God might have said something like this to Ezekiel. Ezekiel, you've got the picture. You've had the grand tour. You've seen this whole valley filled with bones. Now what do you think? Do you catch even the faintest glint of, glint of hope here? 
Do you think there is any chance, any possibility that these bones could ever live again? What a strange question. Slowly this young man who possessed by nature such a vivid imagination began to let God push this question through his mind. Again and again it rang in his ears echoing and reverberating through that valley of death. But I put the question to you. If you saw that field full of dry, bleaching bones and God asked you if these bones could live, I would venture to say that your rational thought process, your pragmatism as good Virginians, your conservative values and all of those things would come into play and you would say, absolutely not. These bones will never live. It's silly. It's useless. And my fear is that we apply the same principle to the day in which we serve the Lord in the local church. We are overwhelmed with the bleaching dry bones of the world around us and even within our church. And we fail to see that with all things in God, there is possibility. There are possibilities with God that seem impossible to us. And if we can't see those possibilities in the impossibilities of life, that is a threat. Because it shows our lack of faith. But like the slowly rising sun, like the gentle unfolding of a rosebud, Ezekiel began to see. Suddenly, those dry, dead, bleached bones began to take on eerie and familiar resemblances. Those grotesque, staring skulls began to look like his own people back in the pagan land of Babylon. Then, the longer Ezekiel allowed the Spirit of God to bombard his mind with this scene, the more he began to perceive the picture God was painting before him. And he said, O Lord, this must be how you see them. While they are physically alive and active in their world, they are spiritually dead. And now you ask, can these bones live? Oh my God, only you can know that. The answer from my human standpoint, oh Lord, is no, they can't live. When we apply the principles of God to our standards, we're going to come up short and that is a threat. Death has won in this valley, Lord, he said. The grim reaper is supreme here. But I've learned a long time ago, Lord, that your ways are not our ways and that your power far exceeds our power. Only you hold the answer to that question. The prophet had learned a lesson which few learn. Situations such as this are matters better left to God's providence and God's knowledge. God had an answer and he wanted Ezekiel to see it. And God has an answer for our concerns today if we only will seek them out. This brings us to the human dilemma Ezekiel faced in this symbolic vision God had given him. What is spiritual death? 
It is a figure of speech, not a medical report. A person who is spiritually dead may be vibrant with physical health and energy. He may be intellectually brilliant and successful. Yet spiritually, as far as his relationship with God is concerned, he may be as dead and void of life as Ezekiel's boneyard. But when we speak of spiritual death, we are describing someone who has no basis for genuine hope unless he responds to the Spirit of God. What about Ezekiel's people? If you had asked them if they believed in God, they would have replied with a shrug of their shoulders, Sure, we believe in God. Statistics reveal that if asked today, still a large percentage of Americans would also answer, Sure, we believe in God, but here is the problem with the answer. So many people today take God on their terms, not His. And when we take God on our terms, we make God something that God is not. We make Him us. And when we do that, that is a threat. What do you see when you look around your neighborhood? Although the people around us may be living their lives, working their jobs, enjoying their hobbies, raising their families, while they may be charming, intellectual, reasonable, and apparently fit, if they do not know Jesus Christ, they are spiritually dead. And if I were to leave now, like I do sometimes between the services when I forgot something at home and go back into my neighborhood, people are doing everything but acknowledging God. They are jogging. They are walking. They're cutting grass. Never a thought about God. And they are spiritually dead. Paul tells us that until the Holy Spirit quickens men and women to spiritual life, they are dead in trespasses and sins. This can be true of your husbands, your wife, your parents, your children, your friends, your neighbors, or your co-workers. While they may be full of life physically, they can be dead spiritually. Yes, when Ezekiel described his friends and neighbors as a collection of dry bones, he was talking about nice, successful people, but a people whose faith had fizzled out. As we assess threats to the church, this is a serious one. If Satan can convince us we are all right as we are and there is no need for forgiveness and redemption, he has won. We should pray and ask God to open our eyes and help us to see the world around us as it really is. That's what Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 4. Say not there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the field for they are white already to harvest. We need to see the world as it really is. And people are hungry for the word even though they don't know it. I share this story with permission. I say that up front. On Thursday, a young lady came into my office, not a member of our congregation. She came into my office off the street, if you will. She sat down in my office and said to me, my fiancé overdosed on heroin and has died. I'm looking for someone to do a service for him. 
And I don't know why and I don't know how, she said, but I was led here. Something brought me here. And I said, I will help you. So she told me about her fiancé. And she told me that just four months prior to his death, his brother had done the same thing. She said the preacher that did his brother's funeral, I don't know who it was, didn't ask, doesn't matter, beat us over the head with the guilt. And I don't want that. It's bad enough as it is. I said, I'll help you. She said, I'll be back tomorrow with his mother. They came back on Friday met with me in my office. Here was a mother broken because she had lost two sons in the last four months to addiction. What do you say? What do you do? We talked about grace. We talked about love. We talked about the 23rd Psalm. We came together with a plan. And yesterday at 2 o'clock, we had a service. The word of God was proclaimed. The message of salvation was given. To people who were hurting and lost without an understanding of what had taken place and what had occurred. And there was a mother who had buried both of her sons. You see, the world is filled with those stories. And people are knocking on the door. And we're not opening it. What we do matters. The church makes a difference. And when someone tells you, whether it's Satan or some other person, that the church is irrelevant, that can be a threat because we tend to begin to believe what others say to us. But the church is for people who are hurting. Church is a place that can make a difference. What does a lost world need? They do not need to hear about our church or our denomination, our preachers or our own opinions. They need to hear the gospel. They need to hear about God's grace and mercy and forgiveness for your sins. They need to hear the truth that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save sinners. They need to hear that He rose again from the dead to save all who will come to Him. They need to hear there is hope, love, life, and salvation in Jesus Christ. There was no better lesson for me than what happened to me on Thursday through Saturday. It puts everything in perspective. It shows the need. 
But then there must be an ultimate solution to this problem. God gave it to Ezekiel in an unforgettable way. Once again, Ezekiel had reached a new plateau of understanding. His first step was to comprehend the symbolism of the Valley of Dry Bones. They were his people, God's people, those for whom God had a purpose and a plan, but they had turned from that plan and were following their own schemes. The result was that they were spiritually dead. There was no vital living relationship. Then Ezekiel reached a second plateau of understanding. He saw his people as victims of spiritual death. Suddenly he was overcome with the hopelessness of the situation. Dear God, is this all there is? Is this the end of your plan and purpose for your people? What of my mission, O God? They will not hear me. They will not listen. For what did Ezekiel see among his people? In the years of their captivity in Babylon, they had become comfortable and some of them even materially successful. They were learning to love that pagan land. Archaeological discoveries had confirmed this as indications of Hebrew prosperity in Babylon have been found among the ruins of that ancient pagan civilization. So in the midst of this hopeless twilight, God spoke to Ezekiel again. He said to that distressed prophet Ezekiel, preach to the wind. What a humbling experience for Ezekiel. We do not know what he said, but the winds responded from north, south, east, and west. They came gently at first, like whispering zephyrs. They blew across that valley of bones. Then suddenly the velocity increased. It reached gale intensity as it rushed through those bones. God said to Ezekiel, you might not think these people, these bones are hearing you, but I give you the message. It doesn't come from you. So you just preach to the wind. I preach to the wind a lot, and I don't mean you all. I prepare sermons sometimes and come up here and preach them to an empty church. But preach to the wind, he says. Ezekiel saw his miracle. The bones began to move and bone found its bone. Out of chaos and hopelessness and despair, there came order and purpose and meaning. Out of the impossible came the possible. Then as the speechless Ezekiel watched, ligaments and tendons and flesh came upon the bones. Though bones had come together to form skeletons with purpose and design, they lacked cohesiveness and unity. The tendons and flesh provided this. But wait a moment. It was a fantastic transformation, but something vital was missing. These perfectly formed bodies were still lifeless, motionless. Everything was there except that which spelled the difference between life and death. And what was it? We've been singing about it all morning. It was the breath of God. The Spirit of God. The same breath that God breathed into the nostrils of Adam and brought him to life. Ezekiel's people in Babylon knew their Hebrew scriptures. They knew the law of God. The scribes continued to teach it faithfully in the synagogues they had established. They had the form of religion, the institution for religion, even the divine law itself. But they were still victims of spiritual death. Preach to the wind, Ezekiel. They can't hear, but they will hear. Breathe upon those bodies, O wind of God. And once again, the winds came and filled the nostrils and lungs of these bodies. And Ezekiel saw them as one man stand upon the feet by ranks, companies, battalions, a mighty army for the Lord. 
What was it? The Spirit gives life. The songwriter said it all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One come down. And what is the application for us today? We too have the superstructure. We have the bones and the ligaments and the flesh. We have the institution, the organization, and the intellectual know-how. And yet the impact of the church on its community, on the world, is pitifully weak. The influence of many Christians on those with whom they associate is even heartbreakingly ineffective. While we should have a burden to see dead men and women quickened to life, we should also be concerned that they are strengthened to stand for Christ and His church. Paul expresses this burden when writing to the Ephesian church. He says, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that the that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. Ephesians chapter 3. When you look at the world around you, what do you see? I must confess that sometimes I become despondent. Despondent when I look at the world. I see the things people do. I hear the things people say. I notice the way they live their lives. And I see the hatred they have for God and the gospel. Those things bother me. And they should bother you. But then I remember. If it were not for the grace of God, that could be me. But somebody cared enough to pray for me. Somebody cared enough to tell me about Jesus. The Lord reached out to me in grace and mercy and saved my soul. The least I can do is ask the Lord to give me the same compassion toward others that was shown to me. The church desperately needs to be alive, breathing, pulsating with the Spirit of God in this day in which we live. As a nation, our prosperity, our affluence has honeycombed us spiritually. We lie on our battlefield for the most part like Ezekiel's lifeless army, but all is not lost. There is hope. The stench of spiritual death can be taken away by the wind of God's Spirit moving among us, but that will never happen if we live lives where we say it can't happen. And I will say to you when we say that, Satan has already won. He would like for us to always look out and see dried, bleached bones. Because if he can convince us that there is no hope, that people do not need Jesus, that people don't want to hear about Jesus, then he's won. But you know what my scripture tells me? That when it comes to the church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that God will have his day. Can these bones live? Yes, they can. The mission that has been given to the church seems impossible at times. But we can fulfill our commission if we look to the Lord for help and the strength we need. We can have a vision for the future if we can see what Ezekiel saw. And not recoil at the task at hand. 
but step out. And it begins with me. And it begins with you. And we can make a difference if we only will choose so to do so. The question is before us. Are we willing to preach to the wind? You see, that tells me very clearly that it's not what I do. It's what God does through me. And if you're not willing to allow God to do something through you, you've lost already. Preach to the wind. And the Lord will make people spiritually alive. You know who's counting on us? People like the girl who knocked on my door on Thursday. That's who's counting on us. And we need to hear it. And we need to march into the future. Not threatened by what we see. But challenged by what we see. So that God can lead us forward. Shall we pray? Father, we rejoice in the power of your love. We rejoice in the power of this story. For it is full of hope in the midst of what seems to be hopeless. As we think about the threats to the church... May we acknowledge that the biggest threat of all is each of us and our lack of faith. Bless us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our hymn of invitation is Breathe on Me, Breath of God. Hymn number 334. Oh, that the winds of God would blow upon us to change us, transform us, and lead us into the future. The invitation is open to anyone who would receive Christ. Do you believe the bones can live? Ask yourself that question. Or am I stuck in my rationalism, my pragmatism, and my lack of faith? Will you stand as we sing?
as I told him in the first service, I always need to acknowledge and don't always do so the fact that you give me a tremendous privilege. And that privilege is to stand before you each Sunday and proclaim God's word as I see it without fear that you're going to attack me in the pulpit. And I appreciate that, not that you would. You know what I'm saying, though. You listen and you respond, and I'm appreciative of that. And I am giving a privilege by leading you and standing before you and doing that. So thank you. The next two weeks, I won't be here after just saying that. I will be in the office all week this week, okay? And then on Sunday, I'm going to Halifax County to do homecoming, a homecoming service in the first church I served. I was younger there. I was 25 years old when I went to Halifax County, straight out of seminary, and served there for four years. Both of our children were born there, and my children both are older than I was when I went there. That'll put you in perspective, right? So I'll be there next Sunday. So, but I'll be here all through everything. Then the next week, I'll be here Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And then I'm going on vacation on Thursday, and I'll be gone through the following Thursday, okay? So I will be gone two Sundays. It just so happened to work there. The second Sunday is vacation. The first Sunday, I'm going for homecoming. I just like to let you know that. So where's the preacher? What happened to him? You know, but that's, that's where I'm going. Pray for me this afternoon. One of the reasons we postponed Deacon's meeting, not the only reason, but one of the reasons we did, a, a couple who uh, we befriended when we were in Madison Heights that lived in our neighborhood across the street from us were like second grandparents to our children. And you know, when you, you, you live away from your family, there are other people who will adopt your grandchildren. They're dear friends of ours. They called me on Friday, and uh, Shirley Sandwich is her name, is in very bad condition in Lynchburg General Hospital. They asked me to come, and I couldn't go because of the funeral yesterday and a wedding I had at 5.30. And so this was the only opportunity that Janet and I both could go. So we're going to leave here right after church and drive up there to see Shirley. She is on a ventilator in intensive care. She has gone septic. She has pneumonia. It's a very grave situation. So please pray for that family. They're very dear to us, and uh, we do want to go see them. Uh, in this time of crisis. So just wanted to let you know that, that that was going on this afternoon. But we'll be back later tonight. So this is your benediction, page 333. We're not going to sing it. We're going to say it, okay? Turn to the 333. You put your book away. It's right across. I was reading those words while I was singing because I knew, knew the words to breathe on me, breath of God. So here are the words, and let's read them in unison. Give you a chance to get there. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is peace. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is love. There is comfort in life's darkest hour. There is light and life. There is help and power in the Spirit, in the Spirit of the Lord. Amen.